Lesson one, basic hip. Welcome to the Jazz Session. I'm Jason Crane. The Jazz Session is presented by AllAboutJazz.com, the web's leading source for jazz news, reviews, MP3 downloads, and more. Every episode of the show is available for free in iTunes and at thejazzsession.com, where you'll also find Amazon links to help you purchase the music you hear on the show. And if you do it that way, a little bit of the purchase price comes back to the Jazz Session. And you'll find a donate button if you'd like to contribute directly to the Jazz Session uh, in return for whatever contribution you feel the show has made to you. If you're interested in becoming an underwriter, please contact me, and you can find out how to do that at the contact page at thejazzsession.com. John Hollenbeck was on my show not too long ago uh, talking about his big band album, which featured today's guest, Theo Blackman. Uh, Theo's new album is a solo recording called I Dwell Impossibility. Well, and first of all, any album, you know, which begins, well, first of all, is titled after an Emily Dickinson poem and then begins with a song that features an Emily Dickinson poem. That's got me right off the bat. But this is one of those records that uh, just arrests your attention and and holds it until uh, the record closes. I think you'll hear why uh, with the title track. I dwell in possibility a fairer house than prose More numerous of windows Superior for doors Of chambers as the cedars Impregnable of eye And for an everlasting roof The gambrels of the sky Of visitors the fairest For occupation this The spreading wide my narrow hands To gather paradise To gather paradise My guest is Theo Blechman. He has uh, an absolutely gorgeous new album on Winter and Winter called I Dwell in Possibility, and it is my pleasure to welcome Theo to the show. Thanks for being here. Thank you for having me, Jason. 
So this is one of those records that, uh, you know, you get so many records every week and you stick them on and sometimes you listen to a, a few minutes. And uh, this is one of those records where I stuck it on and I don't think I got up again until it was finished. It's just so, wow. so, so beautiful. And I guess I wanted to ask you first um, about the kind of conceptual idea of of the record. Why you just, it, Maybe you can describe to people who haven't heard it um, what the record contains and why you decided to make an album uh, like this. It's basically a solo record with some uh, handheld toys that I'm playing once in a while. Some music is a cappella. Um, I've been working with electronic processing for over 15 years, but I wanted to make an acoustic record, one that doesn't work with electronic processing, um, and, and one that works with the acoustics of the room and the space. Um, the, the record was recorded in a monastery in Switzerland, um, and we worked with the different reverbs and the different sounds in the church um, there. So it's, it's not an electronic record, it's actually an acoustic record. Can you talk about why that was important to you? What is the what is the difference for you as a as a performer between using that processing and doing things uh, in a room where you're just working off the acoustics that exist? I think I've felt in recent years that a lot of electronic uh, processing sort of leaves out the the listener in some strange way. I'm not saying that necessarily about every you know electronic music necessarily, but for myself, I sometimes feel that I'm losing something. I'm losing an essence. I'm losing a vulnerability. It's just too easy to always add more and more layers and, and, you know, loop it up till the cows come home. And I wanted to do something that actually strips all that away and, and, and listens to what's still left. But what you were saying earlier, Jason, is, is a, you know, a, a wonderful thing because I wanted to make a record that actually I would want to listen to or that is something that people can listen to and and when you think solo voice or solo instrument what often comes to mind is you know a bag of tricks and, and you know just something that's very difficult to listen to and I set out to make a record that's actually quite enjoyable to listen to even though it's very pared down and very you know very it's just one person doing it Through the starlit skies 
I want to talk about the the musical content of the record, but uh-huh. I, I have another question or two just about sure. the the kind of mechanics of it. You said that it was recorded uh, at a monastery in Switzerland. How did yeah. you find this particular place, and and what did you need in the location? What did you need for the recording space to have? Um, well, the, the the monastery was uh, was found by Stefan Winter, the producer of Winter and Winter. Um, and he he had recorded there before. He'd done some classical recordings in that space, and he said that it would be ideal for for the voice. And um, we didn't need anything. We just needed one microphone. Actually, we that's not quite true. We needed one microphone in front of me, and then uh, lots of room mics. I think five or six room mics all around the church, so we could record the room sound as well. And was there some particular? kind of room sound that you were looking for? Some particular kind of acoustics that you thought would work best with the music you had chosen? Or? Well, it's different from piece to piece. Uh, we recorded each piece in a different place in the church. Some was in the pews, one was facing the wall, one was facing into, you know, the near the altar, one was on the steps, one was higher, one was lower. So it depended on, on the music and on the piece and what, what I wanted you know, as far as reverb and as far as bounce back from the walls and so forth. Can you talk a little bit about what, uh, what as a singer are the, the, I guess maybe it's the same for any instrument, but what is the challenge of being so exposed as you are in this particular case? Maybe the challenge and the, and the joys of being so exposed. Well, the challenge is that it's not enough, and the, the, the danger is that you're doing too much sort of finding that line between cluttering it up and leaving it bare enough. It's the same in painting. When is the when is it finished? When is you know, when is a white canvas interesting and when is it not? Um so just you know, working with that is is very hard and sometimes when you're in that situation you don't really know what it actually sounds like until you hear it back. Because the acoustic is very different when you're doing it at than the recorded aspect of it. And does it work as a record is the next question. Like, you know, I, I, of course I planned as much as I could, but ultimately, you know, when you put the pieces together, does it, does it work as a whole is, is really the question. And there were a lot of pieces that didn't make it on the record because of it. I mean, there were at least five or six pieces I recorded that just wouldn't work as a recorded entity, you know. It sounds like an exciting way to make music. It sounds like a... Uh a very kind of in in the moment very present knowing that you weren't going to have the studio as an instrument that mm-hmm. it was you know made it a very kind of live and present situation at least from the way you described yeah and there were no there were no safety nets i mean i had to be i had to be on i mean it had to be usually was one take not the first take necessarily but it usually was one take that that was it i mean it it's only one person doing it so there's not a lot of you know, I'm not in a booth and I can't overdub this part because, you know, the the rest of the track was good. It's just the track is the track. And that's a very, in a way, it's just moving backwards from where I am working most of the time, is, you know, in studios or with lots of people involved in making this music. And this was sort of get, going back in, in some wonderful way.
to start uh, in terms of talking about the the musical content itself mm-hmm. of the record with uh, the three songs from the Alexandria Carry On, which, mm-hmm. uh, like everything else, are, are just gorgeous. But I thought maybe you could talk a little bit about the, the origin of that music. The, the origin of, of those three songs is from a music theater piece. It was a solo performance um, in which I play uh, an Egyptian slave that, who's working in the Library of Alexandria the ancient library of Alexandria and um, it's a theater piece and I wrote the music and I'm and I was the performer in it the only performer and um, that's how these pieces came about they were it was an hour and 15 minute long performance piece in collaboration with the Bloomsburg Theater Ensemble who uh, hosted this performance and um, yeah so that's that's how it came about and these are the three pieces I wanted to record. I recorded another piece. This is a good example. I recorded another piece from uh, from that theater performance, and you know it didn't fit onto the record. If only I were my beloved's ring, encircling her finger fine, I'd keep her heart from wandering. Clasp her hands till time ends in mine. I'd bind her with a golden string, her touch, my touch entwine. I'd bind her with a golden string, her touch, my touch entwine. If only I were the mirror bright that holds her coppered gaze, I'd see her in the morning light, gaze back at her for days and days. I'd spy all my life, oh sweet sight, her eyes, my eyes ablaze. I'd spy all my life, oh sweet sight, her eyes, my eyes ablaze. If only I were the laundry man of my beloved's linen, I'd grasp the cast-offs in my hand, wind round myself. Uh, what inspired that particular subject matter? Um, it was brought to me by the director, Laurie McCanns. Um, just the idea of, again, somebody being by themselves and f- creating a world and finding, um, finding out about the world through, um, through words. In the piece, this, the, the slave in the library is a, a papyrus glutinator, somebody who maintains and uh, glues the papyrus together. And uh, he teaches himself how to read, 
and through the words and through reading he discovers the universe and the world he falls in love and eventually he goes blind which of course is the worst thing for somebody who works in a library um, and he takes his life at the end with poison and gets reunited with uh, the god Ma'at this is the, the piece on the record called Ma'at is where he goes into the other other world on this record, you chose, uh, in addition to your own compositions, you also chose several tunes by other composers, some of which you know we would consider jazz standards, like I Hear a Rhapsody or Comes a Love, and then there are things like tunes by Joni Mitchell and James Taylor. Were there, uh, were there things that the songs needed to work in this environment and in, in this context? How did you decide, oh, I think this song would be good for this particular kind of recording that I'm making? Um... Yeah, I mean, it has to sound good, and it has to <laughs> has to um, somehow work, you know, with what I'm doing. I, that's really all I can say. I mean, of course, they have to have a certain lyric that fits the overall mood, and, um, you know, whether it has a tempo or whether it has a groove to it is important sometimes. So it's it's a puzzle, you know, of all the songs that I could have done and that I am doing, these, these were the ones that, that sort of seemed to fit. That's all I can say, really. <laughs> and in the case uh, of the vocal overdubs, had you decided ahead of time kind of what the the chordal structures would be, or did you? Yeah, improv- yeah, you absolutely. Okay. It was all written out, and I had made mock-ups here at my house, in my in my home in in New York, and you know it was it was definitely set because you know to play around with that in that moment is a little bit. It just takes too much time. Um, so yes. And so once again, my dear Johnny, my dear friend And so once again you are fighting us all And when I ask you why, you raise your sticks and cry And I fall, oh my friend How did you come to trade the fiddle for the drum? You say I have turned like the enemies you've earned But I can remember all the good things you are And so I ask you why can I help you find the peace and the star Oh my friend, what time is this To trade the handshake for the fist So once again, oh America, my friend And so once again you are fighting us all And when we ask you why, you raise your sticks and cry And we fall, my friend How did you come to trade the fiddle for the drum? You say we have turned like the enemies you've earned But we can't remember all the good things you are And so we ask you please, can we help you find the peace and the star? Oh my friend, 
Theo, you're uh, you're involved in so many projects, and uh, I thought maybe you could spend a few minutes just talking about some of the uh, the other things that are going on in your life in addition to uh, this new solo recording. Mm-hmm. Well, right now I'm I'm focusing on my newest project, which is called Hello Earth, the music of Kate Bush, which um, is a project of Kate Bush's music, who I've been a great fan of for I don't know thirty years, maybe. Um, and it's basically my uh, arrangements and, and re-imaginations of, of her music with, uh, with a rhythm section and uh, Caleb Burhan's playing guitar and violin. And there's a, am I right in thinking there's a concert kind of in the, toward the middle of September that's uh, yeah, of that music? Yeah, at, at Poisson Rouge, yes, exactly, on the 22nd, Wednesday the 22nd. Great, and there'll be links to uh, Theo's website so you can check the show notes. Um, wh- I often uh, have talked to musicians who have adapted, you know, pop music w- kind of writ large. And one of the things that I have heard several times is that sometimes that music is difficult in an improvisational context because it's so stripped down harmonically. And I wonder what you found with Kate Bush's music and how you how you approached uh, adapting it for your particular performance style. Yeah, you know, I, that's a very good point. Um, when I did the Charles Ives project, we came up, you know, we came up a, a, a similar uh, stepping stone because sometimes the music doesn't want to be improvised over, and sometimes the chordal structures, even if the chords are very complicated, you don't want to hear them again. Sometimes it's really it's a very tricky subject. The thing with the Kate Bush project um, is that. The songs themselves on the records are so so perfectly produced and so beautifully and perfect in a way that I had to find my own way and I had to stop listening to her versions of it at a certain point because they're so they're just so complete and see if I can find something to say about them myself and so did you find? Uh, yourself uh, doing things like reharmonizing or you know changing tempos and feels of songs or how how did you achieve all some of, of that? it? Sometimes I I didn't change much and sometimes I changed almost every parameter except for the melody and the lyric perhaps. But even the melodies I stretch or you know I add bars and beats and stuff like that. But it's not about trick you know doing a tricked out arrangement of somebody else's music that that is not interesting either to me really fine again it's sort of a balance between um you know paying homage and respecting this person as a composer and also trying to see find a new angle on the music um what you were saying about the improvisation also is is interesting because i'm not necessarily interested in somebody you know taking 15 courses over you know a kate bush song. I, I, I wouldn't even want to listen to that necessarily. I, I don't think that that's why I'm doing this project. It's it's really more about the songs themselves, the compositions, and the orchestration, and the sounds of, of the music. I know that there's a reason why I need to be alone. Show me there's a silent place that I can call my own. Is it mine? Oh Lord. 
Lord, is it mine? You know I get so weary from the battles in this life And as many times it seems that you're the only hope in sight Is it mine? Oh Lord, is it mine? When everything's dark And nothing seems right There's nothing to win And there's no need to fight I never cease to wonder At the cruelty of this land But it seems a time of sadness Is a time to understand Is it mine? One thing um, I had made a note to ask you about in regard to I Dwell in Possibility was uh, in the notes that you put on your website that go with the record, it mentions uh, Lars von Trier's Dogma 95 and, and using those rules. And I thought maybe you could just take a second to tell folks what that, what that means and how well, it applies. I don't know, because that was Stefan's, uh, that was Stefan's uh, philosophy behind it. My philosophy behind the record was the... Um, the, the um, the Arte Povera movement, where you make an installation or you create something in a space with the poorest of means, with the simplest of means, which I was trying to do on this record is, you know, voice obviously is a very simple means. And then these toys, these very basic sound-making devices, and use them as instruments. Um, that, that was my philosophy behind this. And is that kind of the idea of uh, kind of ex- expanding creativity by restricting, by adding limitations on Absolutely, things? Jason. That's exactly the point. Like sometimes when you narrow something down so much, you, you find the universe in it. You know, sometimes you have to get into a small, tiny capsule to go into outer space. And sometimes I feel that that's the same in music. If you make the parameters very, very small... And you stay with it, and you, you know, you discipline yourself in some way that you can stay with it and find the beauty in that. Then all of a sudden, the the universe can open up. Does that, to some degree, inform your decision to to uh, perform in so many different settings too? Everything from you know theater to all of the different uh, ensembles that you perform with. Does that does that help achieve some of that that same goal in terms of expanding your creative palette? Yeah, I just like I just like all kinds of music, and I I feel that it can be done. I mean, I feel that it it needs to be done. Some of it needs to be done non-classically or, you know, I don't know. I just feel that I don't feel restricted. I, I don't feel like I have to sing jazz standards for the rest of my life. I don't feel like I have to sing, you know, art music or contemporary new music all my life. I I feel that it is possible to do all of it or, you know, some. I mean, I'm not singing operas, I'm not singing folk or bluegrass. I mean, it's, you know, it's not like I'm doing every style of music either, but the ones that I like and I feel drawn to. Have you always um, looked at music as a thing with, with, at best, only artificial boundaries? I mean, when, when did you kind of start realizing that you're, that you could do almost anything that you wanted to? 
I didn't I didn't set out to do it like you know I have this master plan and then I'm doing this and then I'm doing that it's it's just looking back I realize oh you know you know I like I like jazz standards and I like you know heavy metal and I like crazy new music and I like minimal music and I like I like pop music and I I really think that they're connected and that I don't see that they're necessarily all that different from each other. Yes, you can go, you know, into great lengths and write theses about the harmonic structure of Balinese music and the, I mean, the uh, rhythmic structure of Balinese music and the harmonic structure of classical music, yada, yada, yada. But the the impetus or the emotion or the the reason why I do this is, is the same for, you know, from one song to the next. Yeah. recently spoke uh, just last week actually with Shane Ensley of Knee Body and, and we uh-huh. talked about the the Charles Ives uh, record which was nominated for a Grammy and uh, I, I so we'll have his perspective on it in a show that will air just a couple weeks before this episode airs and I'd just love to hear your thoughts about that record how it how it came to be and what your experience of making it was well Knee Body is such a great great group um, that it was just pure joy it was pure joy on two levels and they're not to be underestimated. Of course, the first one was musically, we clicked instantly. That was, it was wonderful, but also on a personal level, we clicked instantly. The, the guys are very funny and they're very sweet and wonderful to work with. And to me, that's become more and more important that that's, that aspect of relating to each other is reflected in what you make musically. Yeah, that's very interesting, especially um, not. I don't want to confine you to the realm of being a, a jazz singer. That's certainly not fair. But uh, but in the in the kind of the jazz context, you're often thrown together with people you just don't know very well. And I wonder how that plays into that that idea of making music versus making with people that you've had you know, many personal experiences with and that kind of thing. What do you mean you're thrown into? 
Uh, I, w- I would just imagine that you end up, man, maybe this doesn't happen to you, I don't know, but it seems like most musicians I talk to end up on stages with people they've only just met, or in studios with people they just haven't had many chances to work with, and so you're kind oh, of navigating yeah. that personal space at the same time as you're navigating musical space. Very good question, Jason. I think there's a lot of sleeping around in jazz, and I'm not a big fan of it. I I keep working with the same people, you know, or with new groups that I get to know, but I don't do a lot of you know, pickup bands. I'd, I'd hardly ever do that. The only, the only time that ever happens is when I work with a big band. Like I just did a, a concert with uh, John Hollenbeck and Gary Versace and Kate McGarry in Germany with big band music that John wrote for a big band that was in Germany. So then, you know, I, th- those are musicians I have not worked with, but usually I work with the musicians I have worked with. Very much in like a pop band or a rock band would work with the same people for many years and refine something that's be- between them, you know? Yeah, it is almost only in the world of jazz that we think it's exceptional for people to stay together. <laughs> and people take pride in it, you know, that they think they should they should be able to master that. And I'm not so sure that that's a good idea always. It's sometimes it, you know, some magic happens, but a lot of times there's a lot of idling and a lot of things are not happening when that when that's the case so i'm not always i'm always sure theo is the music on i dwell in possibility is it music that you'll get a chance to perform live yes uh, some of it is is more easily performed live than other music the uh, super tramp song is a bit tricky because i have this uh, sort of heavy tong drum that i'm playing and to log that around on tour is a bit um you know it's a drag but other stuff, you know, the, the smaller instruments are very easy, and I do take them, and I, I've performed, you know, just performed some solo concerts in Europe, and it's doable, very, very easy. And does it depend on, on where exactly you're performing? Given that the re- the record was so dependent on the acoustics of the place where you recorded it, is the live performance a similar situation? Well, the live performance is different, of course, because it's not a recording, but you get also aspects of, you know, visual. <laughs> you see me, so there's, you know, there's a whole other ac- aspect of, of performance that's not on a record. So, yes, it, it, it is different. It's just, a di- it's like film and theater. My guest is uh, Theo Blackman. He's got a new album on Winter and Winter called I Dwell in Possibility, which I highly recommend. And, uh, Theo, I really love the album, and it's been uh, a real pleasure talking to you. I thank you for taking the time to do it. Thank you so much, Jason. I really appreciate it. No.
That is uh, breathtaking new music from Theo Blechman and his new solo recording, I Dwell in Possibility, on Winter and Winter Records. I'm Jason Crane, and this is The Jazz Session, presented by AllAboutJazz.com, the web's leading source for jazz news, reviews, MP3 downloads, and more. Every episode of the show is available for free in iTunes and at thejazzsession.com, where you'll find links to help you purchase the music via Amazon, and if you do it that way, the show gets a little piece. And you'll also find a donate button if you'd like to give something to the show directly. If you're interested in becoming an underwriter of The Jazz Session, please contact me via the contact page at thejazzsession.com. I'll also mention, given that this album uh, revolves around some poetry, that I published a book of poetry earlier this year called Unexpected Sunlight, and if you're interested in purchasing that, you can find it at jasoncrane.org slash store. That's jasoncrane.org slash store. The Respect Sextet recorded the theme music for this program. They've got a new record called Farcical Built for Six at respectsextet.com. Thanks also to Dave Vrabel, who designed the Jazz Sessions logo. Please go out and support live jazz whenever and wherever you can, and then come back next time for another conversation about jazz on the Jazz Session. Thank you for listening, everybody. Bye. Bye. Bye.